That's better. I think you can still hear me. And um, it's a pleasure to be in Crestline today. A little foggy coming up the hill. And um, well, we had a, a fun, fun coming. The little girl was in the back seat, and when she would see those headlights coming out of the fog, she said, "Be careful! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out!" And uh, I asked her if she had the backseat driver's license, and she assured me that she does. <laughs> yes, I think she got it from her mommy. It's, uh, it's a wonderful to be and just to enjoy the Sabbath, isn't it? And the Sabbath rest. I have a friend named uh, Michael Peabody, and he wrote an article that's in the Adventist Review Someone posted it online, and he was talking about the how that we're we're so um, strong in our political beliefs right now that what what one side is saying the news if you if you're a Republican and you hear CNN news it's painful, and uh, and the opposite you know and. And so Michael, he didn't, he didn't pick sides or let anybody know what's, what's way he was going to vote, but, but he said you know, at least the Sabbath is a good time to rest from those political uh, ideas, political thoughts as well. And we can leave, uh, leave it all in God's hands. This week, um, I want to share a few thoughts with you about holding on to our vision. And of course, um, I left this little piece of paper on the table when I came over to pick up Emily today. She saw it and she said, what is this? I said, well, this is my sermon. She said, well, it's kind of short. <laughs> and I think I can stretch it out a little longer than this, but, but you know when somebody asks you to speak, um, you, you don't really need to know what you're going to say until that morning, <laughs> the night before, but, but, but about Tuesday or Wednesday, you need to have your bulletin information, pick a song, pick the scripture, and a sermon idea, and you can always change everything, but you, you to keep people happy, and it's a lot of work to make the bulletins, and I, these are very nice bulletins you have at this church. Yes. Um, and it's a pleasure to serve the Lord. I know what it's like to fold the bulletins. Uh, if people who've lived at my house, they know we fold the bulletins on Thursday night. What uh, gave me this, just the thought, I heard a radio preacher preaching about um, holding on to your, your faith or your visions when, when, when God seems to take a long time for your vision or your dream to come true. And, um, and I think so when we look at some of the Bible people, uh, who comes to mind first? It might be, um, does anybody have a, somebody who comes to mind first that took a long time for their vision? Yes. Daniel, yes. Real to him. 
Yes, very real. And it, he, had, he probably never thought that he would wind up in our Bible and as, as with the other people. You know, I, I appreciate Daniel. That was the first thing. When I became an Adventist 30 years ago, of course, we studied Daniel and Revelation. Daniel, Revelation. For more than five years, this one study group. And, and myself, I, the prophecies are important, but I like the story around the prophecy, too. That all that we see God doing. And for instance, um, Abraham was um, 75 years old when he began to walk with God. Now, you know, that's, we're never too, too old, are we, to start doing something new with God. And it wasn't a long time after that that, uh, that God, um, Abraham told God that he was childless. He really didn't have a, any heir. And God promised, uh, Abraham told Abraham he was going to have a, a son, a, a son of his own, didn't he? And, uh, and you would have thought that that would come pretty quickly since uh, Sarah was also close to his age. And yet, you know, they waited a long time. And um, it wasn't like uh, two weeks or two years, but more than two decades, around 20, 25 years later, I believe, because the, the child was born when Abraham was 100 years old. And, um, and so, and we know that while th during that time, during that time uh, of waiting, uh, Abraham and Sarah, I wouldn't say they lost their faith, but they thought uh, that, well, God must uh, have a different way for us to do this. And, uh, and so that's uh, when, uh, of course, Sarah suggested to Abraham, well, how, maybe you should have a child with my maid. And um, Abraham foolishly agreed. Yes, and of course that caused a lot of trouble in their family and still causing us trouble today. But um, actually they could have, they could have uh, kept their faith in, in what God told them that they were gonna have a son of their own. So what can we say that he who began a good work in us, he will be faithful to complete it. But it's not, it's not always, a, it's not a quick thing. When God's looking at us, it's a lifetime plan. Now, as humans, we can look at Abraham and Sarah and kind of wonder, well, what, what was, must they have been thinking uh, through all of those times. And there were other things going on, of course. But um, we can also look at, at try, because the actual purpose of us studying Daniel and, and um, Revelation and, and the 
Abraham and, and the others, it's so that we get to know God better, that we could understand God better and God's faithfulness to us. If he is faithful to them, he's going to prove himself faithful to us. And sometimes he proves himself faithful without us even having time to pray. Suddenly you see uh, something take place that you know it had to be God. It's sometimes as small as a parking place, and, and sometimes it's a life-saving event or a, a check that comes in the mail or a, the bad neighbor that moves away, something like that. Answers to our prayers also. I am um, not wanting to be political. Just to thinking about these things, I, I texted something in on my phone last night, and, and surprisingly what came up was um, some people who, who, who were very faithful. It took them a long time to, to reach uh, their goal. And it started with Abraham Lincoln, this poor guy, when he went to war as a captain, and I don't know what war that is, but it says that he, he returned as a private. And, <laughs> and afterwards, he was a failure as a businessman. As a lawyer, he was uh, too impractical and temperamental to have success. He turned to politics. And he tried for the legislature, he was defeated. He, he tried to be in the Congress, defeated. He tried to uh, become a commissioner of the general land office, and he was defeated in an election. And um, he, he ran for vice president, was defeated. Senate also in 1858, he was defeated. And about that time, he wrote to a friend, I am now the most miserable man living. If, if what I feel could be equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. That's how low he felt. And yet, he didn't, he didn't give up, and he became... Uh, now one of our most uh, honored presidents, yes? But even at the time of Abraham's presidency, you know, he was the most hated president we ever had. And um, up until his death, because of the uh, Civil War and uh, all the pain that it brought to our nation, now, you know, our church was founded about that time, and uh, Ellen White wrote that God had brought that punishment upon our country and, uh, because of this allowing slavery for so long. And uh, so I would, I would say that was true, of course. I believe her visions. And but another person was uh, Thomas Edison, and uh, his... He didn't give up, did he? He tried more. He found more than a thousand ways that don't work to make a light bulb, and uh, and so he he looked at it as that was just part of the process 
of, um, of having success. Somebody asked him uh, what it felt like to fail a thousand times. And um, let's see. And uh, he replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention that took 1,000 steps. Wow. Yes. And so, you know, I remember that uh, famous uh, saying that a journey of a thousand uh, miles begins with one step. Yes, that's true. And just another one of those um, earthly, uh, I mean, un stories that are not in the Bible. Because of this morning, um, Emily told me she wanted to be an artist when she grows up. And, um, and when I looked at her twice, she said, well, a veterinarian. But then, a veterinarian, because uh, artists don't make much money. <laughs> you know? But uh, Van Gogh, it, while during his life, he only sold one painting, and that was to uh, a sister of one of his friends for $50. And yet, after his death, look how important he became. And um, Beethoven, he handled the violin awkwardly, preferred to play his own compositions instead of improving his technique, his teacher called him hopeless as a composer, but the history shows that he wrote five of his greatest symphonies while he was completely deaf. That's amazing that he could hear it in his head, <laughs> even though he couldn't uh, hear it by the uh, strings. And so um, are these stories, you know, Bible stories? Do you think these people prayed, had religion? I think so. Some of them did. And, um, and they're like us, aren't they? That we, we living in this world, our story's not exactly in the Bible, but our story in, in the big terms is a Bible story because the same God who was with uh, any of those Bible people he is with us today. Sometimes, you know, the Lord gives us a dream or a vision, and, and like I said, it takes a long time. And one, another one of the greatest um, examples in the Bible is Joseph. Joseph um, was one of the sons of uh, Jacob, was it? Yes. And um, he had a dream that eventually, he had many, several dreams, but the one that really uh, was the kicker was that, uh, that all of his family was uh, bowing down to him. And uh, nobody liked that. And he had uh, several older brothers, so he was the youngest, and they usually feel that the youngest is spoiled. When I being, my being the youngest, I, I believe that my brother and sister wore my parents out before I was born. And, uh, but uh, Joseph, he, 
God gave him some wonderful dreams, and he had a, a nice childhood until his brothers got uh, jealous and, and pushed him down into a pit. And uh, when, um, when some, some uh, people who buy slaves, buy and sell slaves, uh, came by, they sold Joseph to them as a slave, and he was taken down to Egypt, where he was resold for profit, yes. And, um, and then, so, you know, he, one good thing about Joseph is he, he made the best of a bad situation. He, he didn't seem to drag his feet. He, he became a good servant, and, um, and he prospered as much as he possibly could as a servant until, um, until the, um, his owner's wife had, had an eye for him and wanted to have an adulterous affair with him. And uh, so when he, um, he tried to break away, you know, sometimes we have to find nice ways to tell people, no, I'm very honored, but no, I can't do that. But uh, when he, he tried to get away from her, I guess she wouldn't let go. And, and when he got away, he, uh, he, she got his uh, robe, his garment. And uh, then she was so, uh, what do we call it when, when somebody feels that way? It's, um, pardon? Scorned? Scorned, yes. She was uh, so scorned that she became vindictive and, and she told, uh, called, she screamed and, and she said that he had tried to assault her. And uh, so then Joseph, it, w it went from bad to worse. That not only he was a slave, but then he's thrown into prison, into the prison. And, and you know, the prisons in those days, they certainly probably were not like our our prison today. You don't want to be a prison in prison today, anyway. We sometimes we say there, there are hotels, but the people that I've known that went to prison, they certainly didn't would not want to go back, and um, and that's the way a prison should be, of course. But um, Joseph was uh, in Egypt, and then uh, we know how the story goes. He, um, he uh, the Pharaoh had some dreams, didn't he? He was in prison, and the Pharaoh had uh, dreams, and um, and the Pharaoh wanted somebody who was able to interpret these dreams. And uh, Joseph, none of the none of the magicians or anybody else could interpret the dream, but. Joseph was able to interpret the dream, and that's an amazing thing. And of course, when we're reading it, we can kind of feel like, well, we could interpret that dream because we read it and everything. But I think Joseph wasn't told what the dream was. At, um, and so then Joseph uh, interpreted the dream, and he got highly honored, and he was given a high place in heaven and then we see how um, there was a famine where Joseph's uh, father and brothers were living, 
and they came down to Egypt for some food, and, and uh, Joseph was able to say, hey, you come down here and live, uh, and, and, and look at the way that, all, that those bad things, the things that seem to have been so detrimental, and Joseph recognized that. He said, uh, you know, you, to his brothers, he said, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good, that, um, that uh, you could be saved, that I could be almost like a savior, but not, the, not our savior. And so, what can, we can see how even when we, it doesn't look like God is working, God is working, isn't he? Maybe you have something in your own life this way. Um, you know, I just turned um, 70, and um, God told me in a dream that I was going to be like Colonel Sanders. You know, not, I'm not frying up any chicken, but Colonel Sanders didn't... Uh, have any really success until after he was retirement age. And then he started becoming, uh, he got very successful. He, he made uh, hundreds of millions of dollars after he became 65. And God didn't mention any dollars, dollar amounts. But I think what God was telling me in this dream was that, you know, don't look, don't act like you're going to sit down and, and quit because I, I've still got work for you to do. And I know there are some things that God had wanted me to do that I haven't done yet. But I think some of us may have, a, may, may have our own story that, um, for instance, um, when I was 30 years ago, I said a prayer and I said, God, I... I want to get to know you better. And that night, God told me in a dream, go to La Sierra University and serve me. And so, oh, that was frightening. I was speechless. I was 40 years old then. And, um, and I did it. I, I went and I talked to the dean. And he tried to dissuade me. He he said, you know, we really, uh, sometimes people come in and tell us these stories, but we cannot recommend that you do this. He said, you, you would have to quit your job to take these classes, their daytime classes. And, um, and he said, usually when somebody finishes here, they don't get hired. They don't get a job. And he said, so we do not recommend that you do this, but if you insist we will allow you to become a student at La Sierra. And so that's why, uh, that kind of made it better that it, it was me and it, it voicing my faith in God regardless of what people said. And then, um, and then I got uh, into the small church in Lucerne Valley and uh, what happened was uh, there was uh, Lynn Mallory was the conference president, and he was uh, Bailey Gillespie's brother-in-law. And um, Mallory told me, if, if you do good out there for a couple of years, you could go any place you want. And yet, 
after a couple of years, I felt like a Joseph, like I had been. I loved the people. I loved the people out there. I, I baptized a lot of them, and I, I went to their homes, and I, and they became like family to me. But I still didn't expect to stay in, a, in the desert for 13 years. So it was, it was a wilderness experience, to say the least. And yeah, after, after several years, and the tide went up. Um, but no, they, they never could find another place for me. And um, so it was just a few years. God told me in a dream, and I really did not appreciate this dream. He said, you're going to have to work two jobs. And um, oh, man, I, I broke my lamp that was next to the bed. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, so I, that's what, but that's what actually got me into being a hospital chaplain. I started working as a chaplain during the week, and it wasn't long until I was a full-time chaplain, and and um, and then that helped me to support and help the church people because they were poor. I was making enough money I could even pay some people's rent when they needed it or, or help them when they really needed help because the church didn't have any money. And, uh, but, but at the time God told me, you're going to have to work two jobs, I did not appreciate that. And um, now, it's, now I take it as it was a blessing to me. But I, and I'm sure when, uh, when Joseph and all these hard things happened to him, he could look back and say, yes, uh, now I can see it was the hand of God, or at least, at least God brings good out of a bad situation. And, um, and so I, I keep saying, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's the most important thing, isn't it? That it's a lifetime a lifetime thing, and and so we still have visions that that aren't quite aren't complete. That's even what how the, our church was formed, isn't it? The uh, the advent the the people who were waiting for Christ's return in 1844, they they said, um, well, even though Christ didn't come, uh, something happened. And they kept getting together and studying to see, well, what did happen? And they formed a little group. And eventually, even though they didn't want to really form a formal church, eventually, because they got so big and, um, and they had um, accumulated the things, people owned the things. You can imagine if one person owned a building uh, then, then it might that it would we would feel different about church than if if it belongs to the church and and so we became a, a formal denomination around um, 1864, I believe, something like that. And it was uh, James White who really pushed it because he had he is the one who owned the printing presses 
and people were accusing him of making profits, which he was making profits, you know. And, uh, and he wanted to get those printing presses out of his name and into the church's name, but the church needed to uh, become a, a step, pick a name, and, and uh, become a real church. And so that's how um, holding on to our vision, and we're still holding on to that same vision. It's in our name, Adventists, meaning they were hard-headed, see? They said, they were saying, we still believe that Jesus is coming again. And we're Adventists waiting for his return. I came across a, uh, somewhere on the internet, there was, um, it was actually YouTube. They could see the kind of things you're interested in and they, they throw more things at you. And um, this was uh, Martin Luther King's last, ser- last Sunday sermon that he preached before he was killed. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing to you, of course, I'll spare you. But, but he, he said, uh, and it's kind of nice, he said, I cannot be all I ought to be until you be all you ought to be. And there is, uh, you, you understand, it's like my friend, my other friend who, would somebody rear-ended her, and then uh, they pull over, and he got out, and he starts yelling at her, and, and she, she, she impressed me when she said, Please allow me to be nice to you. And that's uh, something like uh, Martin Luther King was saying, I cannot be all I ought to be until you be all you ought to be. And yet for us, when it comes to holding on to our vision, it has nothing to do with how other people treat us, does it? Because look at Joseph. Oh, look how bad they treated Joseph. And and yet God, God brought him through to where he would wind up being in a high place, wealthy, wife and sons, and um, it had nothing to do with the way that his family treated him, they, but it had more to do with how Pharaoh treated him. God, even though some people we love didn't treat us right, but God can open doors and bless us in other, other ways. And so um, I'm going to keep saying, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Because he, he's, God is always bigger than anything we're facing. He's, when we imagine how big God is, he created the universe. The, so the universe is, is a small thing to God. And, uh, and I think when he created the universe, he put the, those stars out there in their places for, for our benefit. He lit them up like a lights out in your backyard so we could see them at night. And um, I still believe that God created the earth and, uh, and the whole universe in um, seven days, and he did it 
all for his plan, and his plan is an everlasting plan. It's not a short-term thing. And the Bible says that, that God is bigger than any force possible. You know, even, it's amazing, even the wind and the waves obeyed him, of course. They had to. He, crea he created the wind and the waves. And, um, and we can do all things through Christ, then, who strengthens us. And he's the one who has the power <clears throat> to make our dreams come true. So the, what does the Bible say? That um, if, as we love him, he will give us the desires of our heart. And, um, of course, I think our first desire is we all want to go to heaven, yeah. right? Of course. And, and I'm getting at the age where I'm attending more and more funerals, too. People my, who are my friends are, are passing. And, um, but um, if we will hold on to our profession of faith, the Bible says if we hold on to our profession of faith, Hebrews 10, 23, that he who promised is faithful to us. So he loves it when we're believing in him. And, you know, God can do, it's a small uh, example. When I was younger, you know, I was, um, I was, I needed a cosigner on a, for a car. And, and my they needed my dad to come down to the bank, and my dad worked in Orange County, and um, so for him to get to the bank before it closed at three o'clock or something like that, that was pretty hard. And and my dad got back to town about about four thirty or something, and he said, "We'll go down there. They'll we'll knock on the door and they'll let us in." And, and sure enough, you know, my dad goes down there and he pulls a knife, uh, like a, a cut a small knife out of his pocket, and he starts tapping on the glass. And they're like, oh, Lloyd. Yeah, they come over, open the door, let us right in. They still won't let me in. Uh, they'll tell me, you go around to the, uh, the drive-through window, talk to us, you know, or something. But um, it, God is able to do far beyond get, getting into the bank when it's closed. And there's nothing that he can't do. And so we keep our vision, then that's exactly what he wants us, to follow him and to believe in him. And, and along the way, you know, we, we're believing. We learn that we can trust him, and we're learning to love him and to believe in his precious love. And as we were talked in Sabbath school, you asked if God has ever let us know that he loves us. Yeah, one time, it's many times, but one time after I had quit my job, I, I'm really one of those people that loves to work, come early, work while I'm there, stay late if I need to. Uh, but one time after I had quit my job to go back to school, I was sleeping in the park. And, and God just, it was a, during the daytime, and God just said, I love you. And to hear that voice and to know that it's God. And he, as Ellen White said, God just says, I love you in every flower that you see. 
in, in the blue sky and in the, in the shade of the trees and in all the care that we have out looking at the universe too. When I look out at the universe and you see those things that look like a dipper, I, I'm sure God put that in that shape so we would look up and, and like Jesus, we could say, I thirst. But he, he wants us to know, keep looking up. Keep looking up to him. And you know, I have a few notes that I scribbled on this piece of paper, like the napkin sermon. You can tell. It's because most of my time, spare time this week, I had to work on getting my taxes figured out. I get all that stuff together. But um, there was Elias. There was Elisha who uh, he he knew that uh, he he believed he prayed that rain would come, and and he kept sending his servant, go look and see if you see a cloud. Go look, see if you see a cloud. And he kept sending him, go look. No, no, no cloud. But then finally there was a still small cloud, right? And it and it came. And then there was. Um, Naaman, you know, the one that, that went, had leprosy and he went, he was told by the prophet to go dip seven times. I wonder, you know, about once or twice or three times, you could imagine um, doing that and, and you're sick, you know, and you're in a strange land and, and he didn't know God like we know God. But... Uh, to keep, his, keep the faith to go ahead and do it seven times, and he got his, and his blessing. And so, and then there's the, uh, the caterpillar. You know, caterpillar, and it, it actually uh, struggles to get anywhere, and it goes up around the eaves of your house and, and hangs itself. And uh, does it have any idea that it's going to become a butterfly and fly away? I don't know. But I believe God, God made that for us too because that's our dream one of these days, isn't it? That we'll fly away too. So, you know, I know that some of you don't want God to tell you that you're going to be like Colonel Sanders and keep working after retirement age. But... Um, but maybe you still have a dream. Now, I'm not sure what God means by that either. Am I going to finally write that book that I've been wanting to write? Uh, is it going to take me around the world? Maybe will it be the first of many? Many people don't write a book until they're about my age because they just don't have the time. And um, But... Uh, but this I know, that he who began a good work in us, he is faithful, he will complete it. And the promises that he has made to us, uh, they will come true. And the dreams that he has put in our hearts, even though sometimes things could get so bad that we, we, we forget them. Yeah, I'm sure Joseph could hardly remember his family bowing down to him when he was a slave, and then when he was in prison, but yet God will bring it to pass, and it's for everybody's good, to his glory. So 
Thank you for letting me come up and uh, use your pulpit today. Yes.